Hello, everybody. Yeah. Uh, welcome to a very special episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile. I'm Brad. That is Brad. And today we got a special one. We we got one that um we, we hadn't really thought about doing at first, but now we thought, you know, it, it's, it's a good time to do it. We're going to be looking at documentaries this time around. And um, man, we got an intense one here, man. Uh, talk about straight out the gate. We got two of the most uh, powerful uh, jaw-dropping documentaries um, ever made here. Uh, we got uh, Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father, and uh, Abducted, Abducted in Plain Sight. Brad, how you feeling about this one? Um, well, first off, I think I told you when you first suggested this one, uh, I hate you for making me watch one of these movies again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because when it comes to these ones, Dear Zachary came out a long time ago, uh, back in, I want to say I saw this one like around 2011, 2012, so a little mm. bit after it had already released. And yeah, this movie hits you. Uh, we're going to get into you. it, obviously. But yeah, I think my exact comments when you suggested this was, I said no. We're, no, I'm not watching that again. <laughs> You're not putting me through this. I said, dude, we got to do it for the show. Dear Zachary, as hard as it is to watch, it is, is, it is a work of powerful art. Um, it, it's unlike any documentary I've ever seen in terms of craft, story, and emotional power. I mean, like I said, we, we got to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, let's just jump right into it. And between these two... I don't see any other way to do it than starting off with Dear Zachary. I think you may be right. I, I think you may be right. It, it, it's a uh, um, both of these are great documentaries, but mm -hmm. uh, Dear Zachary is uh, is the best way to start here. And um, how about this? How about I do Dear Zachary and you do Abducted? How does that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. So when we're talking about Dear Zachary, this is a 2008 documentary film. Um, everything here written produced directed edited shot uh and scored by kurt uh kuhn i think his last name is um yeah yeah so this is a film about a a, a documentarian uh or a director kurt kuhn uh that's uh making a, a documentary dedicated to his um deceased friend's son zachary and um his deceased friend um andrew bagby uh, from every testimony you see in, in, the, in the beginning montage of the film was a great guy who was murdered by his um, girlfriend, Shirley Turner. And um, that's where the film starts. It starts with everyone talking about how much of a great guy Andrew was, goes into his um, his murder by his girlfriend who was um, mentally unstable, mm -hmm. um, a, a very unstable woman. And you would think that's where the film goes. But then we realized that Shirley was pregnant with Andrew's uh, uh, son, Zachary. And then the film morphs into a, a dedication to Zachary. And then you say, OK, so this is where this film is going. We're going into Andrew's life. We're going into a little bit of uh, Shirley's life with um, Andrew's parents and their battle over custody of Zachary and visits and everything like that. OK, this is interesting. Then something just totally earth shattering happens in the third act that flips this film on its axis again. And uh, it's just a moving, powerful, devastating and in some ways beautiful all around experience. And uh, Brad, I mean, I, I remember what I, I'll say this. I remember where I was when I first saw this film. 
I was looking for um, I want to say it was in my college years. No, post college years. I was looking for a great documentary to watch, mm-hmm. and I said, um, okay, I've seen some solid documentaries in my time. I've seen Werner Herzog's Grizzly Man, um, Errol Morris Standard Operating Procedure. I'm looking for a good documentary, and I heard one where somebody said, um, Dear Zachary. And I think it was on YouTube. I think it was on YouTube. And it's still on YouTube, I think. Um, and uh, I saw one comment that said, don't read any comments about this movie. If this is your first time watching it, just watch it, then scroll down. And I said, okay, game on. So I scrolled up. I pressed play. And uh, I don't know what meme to reference this with. But you know when you're watching, you know when someone's watching TV and their faces go from smile to disgusted look to oh yeah jaw drop to different face expressions and that's how my face went watching this whole movie and when it turned off i was just i, I was just moved and then that's when i read the comments and i and i and i realized i didn't feel i wasn't the only one that felt like this where were you when you first saw this film so my introduction to this one was a online kind of post about uh judges who had failed their duties as judges with the mm-hmm. one from this movie being at the top of the list with a link to the documentary on the reason why and i was like okay so the movie's called dear zachary and it's about a failed judge okay let's i'll check it out and yeah it's not what it's about whatsoever but i wholeheartedly still agree with that article <laughs> on mm-hmm. her failing but yeah it Watching this movie was just that same roller coaster of, oh, man, that's sad that his friend died. But that's kind of cool that he gets to, like, find out all these details about him that, you know, he didn't know. And as the movie went on and it just kept getting stronger and stronger. And then obviously the gut punch of finding out that uh, Shirley had taken Zachary and committed a suicide murder is insane Mm. and it just it hits you so hard i remember the first time i was watching it like at that moment i had to pause it and get up because i was just so angry at somebody that i didn't know (laughs) yes yeah listen dude i was in my room i was in my room i was living with my parents around this time and i just i just paused the tv and went no 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 (laughs) (laughs) and then my mom came in like What's what's up? I'm like, it's just, I can't believe she did that. She goes, what? I go, nothing. Don't, never mind. <laughs> like, 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 I was just like, no, no. Like, like, I, I dude, oh man, it, it, it's such a jaw drop, dropping moment when that, when that, when that moment comes. Oh yeah, especially with everything leading up to the movie, because. It starts off as that documentary where he's just kind of using this as a way to learn about his friend who had passed on and was murdered and everything like that. And then it becomes kind of this study into the case of his murder, where following the events of her running off back to Canada and trying to get her, you know, back to the U.S. so she could be tried for the murder. Then it became the pregnancy and the kid and the parents of... Uh, well, the grandparents of Zachary trying to get custody of him and then eventually to the murder of him and then the lead up of the parents trying to change laws and everything. And there's even a follow up to the movie for people who haven't Mm -hmm. seen it. That's on 
uh, Kurt's YouTube. I want to say that it's still yes. there. Uh, yeah, and that's that's um, recently I I saw that for the first time. Uh, it is called um, "The Legacy of Dear Zachary: A Journey to Change the Law," and it's still yeah. on there. Yeah, which kind of goes into how this movie was used as a tool in order to change laws to prevent what happened here to Zachary from happening again. And, and yeah, that's this, a great movie. It is. It's it's a yeah. very well made documentary. It's a very powerful documentary, and it, I love that it's literally a indie kind of guy that made this like he makes other movies too but right it it happened to fall into his hands to try and make this and that's how it's so beautifully edited how it keeps its tone like perfectly for whatever it's trying to portray and even goes like to that too right and like the interviews are good I love how it like cuts in and out of interviews to show like how people felt about uh, Andrew when he was still alive and how they knew him, you know, going through Mm -hmm. med school and going through everything else. Like even his family, like everybody talked highly of him and Mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful thing because it's intercut with previous footage that he had of Andrew in the movies that he was making during the time when they were like in high school and you know, the early days of college when Kurt was trying to like get into the profession of filmmaking and he was making these movies and Andrew was one of the actors in them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you can definitely tell like there's a love behind making this movie for his friend that does shift over to the son of his friend and then to the grandparents of his friend. Well, well let's talk about how the movie um, operates so I love the, I love the moment where, uh, and it kind of starts off like a thriller, right? Mm-hmm. But it it starts off it starts off heartwarming, but then you got one of um, Andrew's friends just sobbing like a baby, and his son is in his lap, like, "Daddy, why are you crying?" He goes, "Oh, I just I just miss my friend," and they're looking at a picture, and in the picture you just see Andrew, and he goes, mm-hmm. "What happened to your friend?" Well, he he he, he was killed. He says, well, "Who did it?" He says, "Um." Uh, th- that lady and then her her face just pops up in the picture i was like i was like oh man that's kind of a creepy because like mm-hmm. if i'm just looking at that picture without context i'm like okay that's just a woman being cre- being uh goofy with her boyfriend but the way he says oh his his girlfriend did it and then her right. face pops up she looks creepy in that in that photo and then i like how and some people could say this is kind of manipulative but when you're trying to tell a story you got to tell a story you know i like how in between certain moments you know, um, there's intercut narration by uh, Kurt where uh, there'll be a ruling made in court and then Kurt will intercut with a with a strange looking picture of Shirley and then say, but that wasn't correct. But Shirley lied. But, mm-hmm. you know, she lied, you know, like in which is in- intercut a very like it, it, he would intercut a photo of her smiling in a in, in just a regular way. But knowing the backstory behind what she did, the smile comes off creepy. You get what I'm saying? With oh, the yeah. music score and everything. Yeah. He definitely like, hypes up everything, especially when he's, you know, talking about different people that like failed in the entire thing, like uh, her psychiatrist. And I love how he does like the picture of them when he can't get like an interview with them, which is later mm-hmm. in the movie. He you see him going through and calling all these people and them just right. either not returning your calls, his calls or completely ignoring him. 
in every way. And mm. I love that he like takes their exact quotes and does like the little lip syncing to him just saying it over one of their pictures with their like lips okay. moving. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, that it's a fun way of him like being like, look, if you're not gonna give me the footage, I'm gonna make the footage. And right. it, it it's so fantastic because you can tell how much love went into this movie that he oh. says multiple times he's not entirely sure who he's making the movie for, but he knows mm-hmm. that it has to be made because Andrew deserved something. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like you're just, you know, you're called to do something. You don't know why you're doing it. You're just called to do it. This mm-hmm. dude had been making films his whole life, some of them with his best friend as a kid. He says, I got, I got to make this movie. And um, so, and I love how much passion is put into this, like you said, and you you can feel it. Like through the score, I love how the score plays through emotional moments, and I love the kind of like dark score that plays through like the thriller, disturbing, tense moments. Right. Yeah. Like um, yeah, I love. Oh, I love the backstory behind the parents and how they met each other. I thought that was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love um Andrew and how he, you know, how he uh traveled in the studies and met different people and, and everyone talking about this great guy they met called Andrew that was like a brother to them. Um it was beautiful, man. Oh like, I love I love the Yeah. And the story of how Andrew and his first fiance and how, you know, it just didn't work out and, and like before he met Shirley. I was like, no one talks about him in a negative light. Even when his relationship with his fiance didn't work out. She didn't talk about him in a negative light. It was just like, you know, it just, just didn't work out. But he's still a gentleman. He was still a great guy. Um, so I just I just love this dedication to to a to a man's best friend. Mm-hmm. And um, dude, I, I look there's one moment. It's so darkly, it's kind of like darkly hilarious, but it's just so yeah, I can understand. I can understand. Um, there was a moment where the father was really and any man would would understand this. Any woman would understand this, whether you have kids or not, where he's just going off like uh well, yeah, we, we did have a plan, you know, to like, um, you know, we would have we would have killed her, taken the baby. And they, they, he lays out the meticulous way they would have done it it's just as a fantasy. Oh, they yeah. wouldn't have actually done it. But as a as a dark fantasy, what they would have done as a, as an alternative option. And I like how they cut to the um, to, to the to the to the priest dude who was a friend of Andrew. And he goes, well, I'm not going to say it's not rational. <laughs> <laughs> such a great scene he says well i'm not gonna say it's not rational i don't think he was the priest friend of andrew i think he was the priest that was in the church in newfoundland who knew uh the grandparents because they went to his church uh but yeah i even love the interviews with him where he's going through it all and talking about the parents being like they came in and they literally became a part of the community and everything and talking about the time that Shirley came to church with them and everything. And everybody was like, how dare you? You know, like mm-hmm. she was so extradited from that community because right. they knew that what she had done and what she was doing currently and everything like that. And even the people that like would go to church with them and everything like that, the times that they would have Zachary and everything, they were talking about like, we must look like the worst, like, parents ever because you see these two old people with a baby sitting right next to us all the time and then they the baby would start crying and they'd leave to take care of the baby and we'd be sitting there and it's like no it's not our kid we we swear it's 
right, 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 right. Yeah, the, the film does have some funny moments. Oh, yeah. It has some funny moments. Um, ah, man. I, I think the moments that get me the most is when you see pictures of Andrew as a baby, and then you see those paired with pictures of Zachary as a baby. Oh, yeah. Especially, yeah, especially during the hard-hitting moments when you realize that Zachary was killed. Uh, those those hit you in the heart, man. Like, well, those, those go in for maximum impact. Yeah, and as the movie, like, after the pinnacle point of the movie where she kills him and it starts going through and it's like, look, it, Andrew, uh, you know, denied her and left her. And that's why she came and killed him. And Zachary was doing the same thing. She would always, or he would always pick the grandparents Mm, over her. Mm. Like you could let him go and, he would always want to go to the grandparents. He would never want to be with her. And you see like the videos of, you know, her playing with Zachary, like in the water and stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah, she's not being careful with, I know it's very selective video editing on that Mm -hmm. part of like him picking those scenes. But at the same time, it's like, it just adds to it and everything like that. Cause I'm sure that there were times where she was fine with Zachary and everything like that. But at the same time, she's a monster. We don't want to see those scenes. We want to see the scenes that make us go, yeah, she was a terrible mother. She didn't deserve to have that child at all whatsoever. And that interspliced with the actual audio and everything where we can go, yeah, she has no emotional attachment to Zachary. It's all an act. You can hear it in her voice. And it's so bad, like when she's playing the game of, well, I don't know if I'll have food or can afford diapers for him and stuff. And it's like, it, then you're not, you know, what are you doing here? You you know exactly what everybody can tell exactly what she's trying to pull with that move because she knows the grandparents are going to provide that no matter what. And right. trying to guilt trip them and stuff. And yeah, right. it's horrible. Yeah, it, it. she is so manipulative and everything like that. She is like one of those people that, you know, when you hear like, oh, she died and everything like that. It's like, man, it mm, hell's not big enough for her. <laughs> we, we need a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah, dude, I, I mean, this film just hits you in the sternum. Just just absolutely. And it's funny because I, I Kurt Coon. I like to see more work from him. He's definitely done other films. Um, he he had a film in 2011 called Shuffle, which I still think is uh, available to be watched. Uh, I don't know if it's on Tubi, but it's available to be watched. Um, and uh, he directed an episode of The Blacklist. Uh, I heard it's a pretty uh, critically acclaimed episode. But I feel like he's a he's an independent filmmaker at heart. I like to see more work from him because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you could tell a film like this was just made from the heart. And uh, you just... I, I would be very. I'd like to see who ha- who ha- who doesn't like this movie. Everyone's opinion is subjective, but I would like to see any criticism put at this movie because it really is to me a perfect film. It, trying to think on it, like the people that could say that they don't like this movie, I, I can't mm-hmm. think of like why they would go. Oh, I don't like this movie unless they're like in the situation I am, where it's like. Yeah, I never want to watch that movie again. It, that movie just okay. hits too hard. You know, it's it's too powerful. Those are the people that I yeah. can understand being like, I didn't like that movie. It didn't make me feel good at the end. You know, I, I've, it's one of those movies that like sticks with you for a little bit after you finish watching it. And you're just like, 
God damn it, Shirley. You know, like, I'm sure yeah. that I could run into somebody named Shirley. I'd be like, I want to kill you right now. I don't know why. It's just in the back of my head. I, I know that you shouldn't be around right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a, it's a very powerful, emotional watch. And uh, I got to be honest, man. Uh, to all, I, listen, to all my true crime fanatics out there that would ask me, because um, I do believe true crime is something that you got to be very careful with. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, listen, I understand. It's, uh, it's addictive. When you hear stories like, how could that happen? You know, I watch certain YouTubers like that chapter. Uh, shout out to Dreading. Shout out to uh, Matt Orchard. Jim Can't Swim. Like, I watch some great true crime documentaries out there. Like, especially that, that study the interrogation between killers and detectives, too. But it's like, after a while, you, you got to take a step back because it can become so addictive that you, like, you start thinking you're a detective. Like, well, why didn't why didn't they investigate this part? Or why didn't they calm down? They're professionals. Yeah. All right. You can't you can't be a, a citizen sleuth and, and think you're going to solve the murder that that professionals nine times out of ten know what they're doing. You know what I mean? I mean, like, there, uh, there's those times, but then there's times that you like hear about tragedies happening and people mm -hmm. go, well, there was no way that we could have predicted it. And then they like talk to the neighbors and like we called the cops on them every Saturday because we heard screaming in the house and there'd be blood right. on the sidewalk almost every Wednesday whenever the trash went out. And okay. it <laughs> <laughs> like I said, nine times out of ten, right. I, I ain't saying there ain't no incompetent detectives out there that go. Well, I don't see nothing wrong with this guy. Somebody call it. This guy's literally about to do something crazy. Yeah. Okay, sir, we'll log it in. <laughs> like, I literally have him video of stabbing somebody. Yeah, but are we sure that's what really happened? <laughs> right, right. Like I said, nine times out of ten. Okay, but like most of the time, like yeah, I I don't like it when like people try to be. I ain't gonna go on a tangent. What I mean is, everyone I know that loves true crime. I always recommend this movie and I always tell them, listen, don't look anything up about it. Just mm -hmm. watch it. And they always go, eh, but how, how am I going to know if the story's juicy enough? I said, dude, if you're not hooked in 15 minutes in, shut off the film because then it just, it just ain't going to work for you. Right. I, you know, I, I just tell people this movie hooks you in and just doesn't let go. And, um, yeah, because I like how they, they passed a bill later on that was called Zachary's Bill, um, which basically helps protect children, you know, with bail hearings, custody disputes. Um, and like you said, the follow up documentary goes into that. And I like how it goes into how um, Kurt, you know, marketed the film afterwards. You know, like he um, I believe he tried to submit it to Sundance and other festivals and they were like, look, man, great film. But unfortunately, we can't take it or like he was a little over the deadline and stuff. And so he moved on like, OK, I'm going to move to the next festival. And I think um, it ended up uh, going to Slam Dance. Yes. And um, yeah, it just it just showed how he like intensely made like scored the music and he edited it together. And uh, yeah, this dude was on a mission from God, man. Uh, I mean, this, this film is, is just a work of art that just needs to be preserved. Like what's that place where they put classic films that the National Library of Registry? I think Jill Zachary needs to be in there. Yeah, something like that. But even like in that follow up where he's talking about uh, how he went to a theater near 
I think it was near Congress, and he invited literally the entirety of Congress to come view it, and like three out of the 413 people actually came. And one of the people that actually did come was like, how fast could you get me 413 copies of this movie so I can give it to every single person that didn't come to this screening? And that was one of the people that started pushing the bill across to make the change to prevent this from happening again. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It is, it, dude, the film is edited so fast. Like, it's so fast-paced. Like I, I love the way it just it just moves. There there are great slow powerful moments, but there's moments when it just it just moves so fast and it's rhythmic. Like um, I can go on and on about how much I love this movie, man. Uh, it's it's not an everyday watch for sure, but like I feel like the the third time I watched this movie, which was for this episode, I more so studied its craft rather than focus on the story because I already knew the story well. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me just say. Uh, one of the greatest endings of all time, dude, where um, I think one of the friends says, um, you know, they they lost a son in Andrew, but they gained a whole bunch of kids with us, with all of Andrew's friends. And it shows the great montage of all the parents hanging out with them. And it's oh, like yeah. uh, with the parents hanging out with all the friends, I mean, and it's like, oh, my goodness, that's so sweet. Like, that's sweet, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great moments in this movie besides the gut punch moments. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you mentioned that this isn't the kind of movie that you would watch every day. I never want to watch it again. Uh, this is the second time I've seen it, <laughs> and I think it's going to remain a capped off two times I've seen this movie. So... <laughs> Yeah, I I, uh, I love it, man. I don't even know if it's going to be the last time I watch it. I really do love this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Uh, without it, It's just it goes without saying on my end, dude. DFV, perfect score, five out of five. Yeah, this is a five out of five. It's not even up for contestion on it at all. It's mm-hmm. it, it. Kurt did a fantastic job with the direction of it, with the editing of it, everything about this movie just works and even with the topic aside and everything like that just his skill in putting together this movie in the way that he put it together it leads it up to a four out of five on its own and then when you add the content and everything else it's an easy five mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it, it's no frills in this one um all right well on to the next one here And that brings us to our second movie today, Abducted in Plain Sight. This time directed by Sky Borgman, we follow the story of uh, Jan Broberg, who is Mm -hmm. somebody that had been kidnapped by a man known as B and convinced her that she needed to be with him in all ways or else her family would be put in danger during this abduction and throughout the entire movie, we find out, or the entire documentary, we find out how close this person was with the family, the Brobergs, and mm-hmm. the multiple members, the mother, the father, and even her sisters, and how he manipulated everybody around him in order to get his pedophilic dream of being with Jan to fruition. And... Yeah, we got to just jump right into this one because that's the bare bones of it. And 
man, this movie, you feel so bad for everybody around B because he manages to absolutely like manipulate everybody into thinking this is normal. And he uses the fact that they don't understand the kind of things that he's doing as being wrong or dangerous as an entire part of his plan. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely disgusting how like you can look into this and be like, how did they not know that this was going on or how did they not suspect this? And it simply put the movie even puts it forward. Like the idea of a pedophile wasn't something unknown. It wasn't even conceived by these people. We, we, we knew it existed. It wasn't even conceived by these people. Yeah. Right. But this family, um, dude, I think I think we got to say the obvious thing. Not only was this woman, this young child, excuse me, abducted once, she was abducted twice. I, I mean, twice. You understand? By yeah. the same person. Dude, this 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 story is so. Power, this, this story is so shocking and unbelievable at the same time, because the way it goes into it. So Brother B was a fan of the family. Uh, Robert Burke told. Uh, is is his name. So he's a friend of the family. Um, you know, um, Jan's family would hang out with his family. You know, he was um, close to the mother and father. But uh, secretly, he had a crush on Jan. Now, Jan is like, was she like five or or, or seven? She, like, um, I think she was 10 when she was the first abduction was, happened. Okay, no, no, she was. I think she was twelve, and then when she when it happened again, she was fourteen. I believe oh, okay. so. I believe so. So anyway, she's she's young anyway. So anyway, he is in love with her pretty much. So at one point, um, they they're supposed to go off somewhere, which red flag number one. You you let a grown man take your daughter somewhere. The, the mom ain't going with him. The dad ain't going with him. You let a grown man, mm-hmm. friend of the family, taking your daughter somewhere. To, to horse riding or something. Uh, number one red flag. So um, they go off. And at some point, uh, Robert concocts the story that uh, they were taken by aliens and the aliens want them to, you know, be with each other in order for that for to save humanity. Um, well, he, it he, it like, was even mm-hmm. further than that. It was that Jan was actually part alien and in order to right. save the alien species, she needed to become pregnant. And the perfect mate for her was B. And mm. that if she didn't fulfill this mission, they were going to kill her parents and they were going to then take her sister and she would become the one that needed to get pregnant in order to save everybody. So she thought uh-huh. that she literally was the only one that could save everybody and this alien race that could kill her and everything. And even when mm. they got caught and everything like that, B was talking to her and going, look, you can't tell anybody about it or else they'll come and they'll kill all of us. You know, right, the, the mission right. has to say secret, you know, I'll don't worry. I'll always be there and everything like that. And she mm. was manipulated and groomed into falling in love with this man at the same yes. time. And thinking like this was her purpose. And this whole time she's keeping it secret in her own head um, while she goes back to her family. You know, Robert is arrested. Mm-hmm. And um, 
something happens, a legality happens with the trial where, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. But anyway, the um, legality of it was that he got out because they didn't press charges and said that she wasn't abducted. Mm-hmm. She, the parents approved of her going with him and everything like that to Mexico and everything because if they didn't do that, he was going to reveal that. What was it that her husband was gay because he had done sexual oh, yeah, favors yeah. with B and all this other stuff. So we got to talk about that. Yeah, that, that's a whole Dude. other part of it. Because <laughs> listen, man, there were many like, listen, my, my hair is short now, but there are many moments when I first watched this movie where I was pulling. I was almost pulling hair on my head. Like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Like, are you serious? Like, like I'm, I'm looking at this. Well, so let's go back to what we were talking about. So he manipulated this young girl, put an idea in her mind. It shows how dangerous the mind can be when it's manipulated. You know what I mean? Especially at that uh, young of an age. Especially when that young of an age where you're very impressionable. Um, so that happens. Now, when we go into depth with like what Robert did with the parents and his like sexual manipulation of both the dad and the mom. Let me say that again. The dad and the mom. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. I I, t- I look at this guy as, as, as a part disgusting, manipulative, uh, you know, just I want to say, but manipulative mastermind in part looking at the parents like, what were you thinking? Like, 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 what were you thinking? Like, like, because like, I don't want to blame the parents because every like th- these people were, I believe they were Mormons and they, they, they were, they were innocent, right? It was an innocent time kind of, but it's like, you got to use some common sense in some instances. Like, come on, man. Like, I, I know they knew what a pedophile was. I, 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 it's hard for me to believe you didn't know about the idea of a pedophile in the seventies. Do you believe that? I mean, there might be the idea that, oh, there would be an adult that would be into kids. But the concept that one of those people could be near you was completely imaginary. It's like, oh, yeah, it's the same as knowing that Fair there's enough. a killer next door. Nobody you know is a killer. It, that's not something that's in our neighborhood. Fair enough. But I mean, Charlie Manson was around. Right. Charles Manson was around, wasn't he? Like... I think so, Fair but enough. at the same time, you got to keep in mind this is prior to the internet. This is like small time newspaper. They don't get like the large press. You know, the the news came on for two hours a day, and if you missed the news that day, you just missed the news that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I slightly disagree, but I hear what you're saying. I wasn't there. But well, so even the this- FBI agent that's, you know, interviewed and everything like that even said, like, it, he had never even thought this was possible to be happening when it came across his desk. Like, the concept of a pedophile was still so out there that the head of the FBI in that area didn't know what was going on. It, it was so outside of his head that this was, you know, the case. Okay, I hear you. Yeah, he does say that. He do, he does say that. I, I hear you on that. Maybe I was just like so. The second time watching this, I just I was just so shocked, man. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, how could this happen? You know, uh, 
so it's funny. Back then, they would never think of something like this happening. Nowadays, we would never think of something like this getting to this point. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? All right. So I guess that's how I'm looking at it. Um, but uh, I want to say so basically the story goes um, Robert was hanging out with um, and I love this form. This film kind of does interviews with uh, uh, the family, the mother, um, the daughter, I believe the father, too, and um, the, the sister of um of of Jan as well. Yeah. Um interspliced with dramatizations of uh of the whole ordeals. So at one point, um uh Robert is out with the dad and uh Robert just says to the dad, like, man, I just my wife isn't satisfying me sexually, man. You, you know what I mean? And the, you know, the father's like, Yeah, you know, I got you. And so at some point the conversation turns to Robert saying to him, like, dude, I just uh I need some healing, man. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, pretty much what happens is the dad ends up, you know, like, you know, um, you know, uh, putting, you know, putting his hand on, you know, Robert's stuff and, you know, letting him off. Yeah. Uh, he gives him a hand happens. job. It's <laughs> right. I was trying to say it in a polite way, but, you know, yeah, that's, that's basically what happens. And I remember watching. I remember I paused the movie and I went, wait, wait, what? What happened? <laughs> you know, like I. Because at first I thought it was a rumor, like okay, maybe he was going to spread that lie. But but I was like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, I, this I, is coming from believe- the dad's point of view too. So it's literally directly right. from him going, "This is what happened." And yeah, I, I was like, oh wow. I was like, how did how did, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. You know. And then I see how he manipulates the mother, and the mother tells her side of the story of how he would kind of seduce her. And I was like. This guy is uh is a manipulative bastard. Yeah. You you seduce the mom and the dad. That takes a different type of disturbed mind to pull that off. And then it goes into how he got Jan abducted again. Well, I, I, and it's like, go ahead. Let's talk about a moment in between there because in this we also talk with uh B's brother who Yeah. Basically, throughout the entire film, it's interspliced with him just going, yeah, he was a pedophile. He got he was into kids. Everybody kind of knew it. And, you know, it just talking about it so nonchalantly. And right, he gave right. him a job after the first abduction. Like he moved away and moved to where his brother was and he got a job uh-huh. doing sales and everything. And his brother was like, yeah, he could sell everything. He he was so good at sales. Like he was the top of the class. It's like, yeah, I can believe that he was great in sales. He convinced a married man to give him a hand job. So yeah, it, I believe that he was great in sales. I don't, I 100% believe this part of the story. <laughs> he was a regular Jordan Belfort. We get it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, we, like, like, I'm, I'm sure he was good at manipulation. Right. Like you know, uh, yeah, it was it was it was horrible. <laughs> like yeah, he, he was so mad of a fact with it. You you're right about that. And um, dude, this is one of those stories that if you told me this happened, I, I wouldn't have believed it. I was like, this there's no way something like that happened. Oh yeah, if you this know, was I, a normal you can't make this movie, up. <laughs> yeah. this would be in the unbelievable category. It wouldn't. But the fact that it's a documentary, it's like, oh man. <laughs> This will be a twisted M Night Shyamalan film, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm serious. Like him in his heyday, I mean, Six Sense signs M Night Shyamalan. This would be really a twist you just did not see coming. Like, oh wow, okay, like you know, um, yeah, this is a wild movie. 
And it's just it's it's disturbing in the same light because you're talking to these people in present day with them reliving this horrible thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and, and you and you feel so bad for Jan and how she had to mentally bring herself back to reality because this whole time she's literally thinking she's a part alien. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it sounds so absurd, but yeah, it's it, when you think of the time and you think of like how young she was and everything like that and just how ahead of the curve he was on manipulation and getting mm-hmm. everybody to do and say exactly what he needed because even like prior to the first abduction and everything he was very close with the family like he would go to dinners with them all the time he mm-hmm. would go to vacations with them and there was even something mentioned where he would like sleep with Jan in her bed several nights of the week and this went on for like months prior to the abduction and even like some splices of talking with other girls that he had you know attacked in the past and everything like that where they were just like it mm-hmm. the concept of him doing this was just insane to them even now to think that they had been manipulated that hard and yeah it's absolutely insane like the degree of like how unknowledgeable everybody around him was except for Mm -hmm. the brother who is just so nonchalant about everything and just being like yeah that was him that was my brother i don't know what to tell you otherwise this is what it is man yeah you know that's just what it was yeah absolutely yeah and I, i love that great moment um where they're in court together and um, you know, Jan is a little Jan is older, and uh, so is Robert. And she kind of confronts him, like she speaks directly to him in a statement about mm-hmm. how she feels about all this. And it's just such a it's such a harrowing moment. Um, you know what I mean, where she confronts him in in, in court. And um, yeah, you know, uh, this is just uh it's just a it's just a wild movie. And you know, with Netflix documentaries. Sometimes they can be hit or miss, especially the true crime ones. Uh, some of them, uh, especially the docu-series ones, are great, like Wild Wild Country. Uh, what was the one about the piece of uh, Evil Genius? Some are kind of like, eh, that kind of dragged out a little bit. But um, this was a very good one. Uh, and this was just this was just a documentary of one, one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, this was, this was something else, man. So, and um, this was your first time seeing this, right? Yeah, this is my first time seeing this one. Uh, prior to this, when it came to like the Netflix documentaries, like I know the pizza delivery one, the uh, making a murderer, like those are the two that I know off the top of my head. Making a murderer was good, yeah. And but yeah, this is one that just flew under the gate to me. And as I was watching it, I like recalled hearing about it because a lot of people were like, this has to be the stupidest kind of like family ever kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing That's about how I those. got into it. Yeah. And for that reason, I think I was just always like, yeah, I could care less about that. Then. I'd, I'd rather see something where it's the people that think that they're super smart and they don't get away with it. Like the evil geniuses with a pizza one. <laughs> That it's like Evil Genius was wild. Oh yeah, that one's a great one. Just because the entire time it's like, oh yeah, they thought that they could outsmart everybody and get everything done. 
this one was the exact opposite, where it was like he didn't think that he was outsmarting anybody. He just had a plan to be with this little girl and everybody around him. It was in a time that the concept of his danger just wasn't known. So nobody knew to look out for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, man, I, uh, I'm pretty much wrapped up on this one. Are, are you good? Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else. It just this yeah, I, one's a wild ride of just going, how do you not see it? And then thinking, OK, yeah, I understand why you didn't see that. Yeah, I give this one. Um, There are some slow moments in it, especially with the I think some dramatized moments are kind of like a little bit overkill. But I think overall it's very effective and I think it's very well done and it's very shocking. Uh, I give this one a straight four. Uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. It's it's a four out of five for me because like you said, some of the reenactments and everything go a little bit ham-fisted with it. And th- the movie definitely, where Dear Zachary didn't try and, you know, make the monsters, no it-, it gave you all the details to make you hate them. This one just yeah. keeps going, look at how bad this person is. He's evil. Look at how terrible he is. Just, and, just a slow head shake. Right. You know, and it's just right. like, you know, I get it. He's a monster and everything like that. But you keep just pounding it in that he's a terrible person instead of letting all the facts let us deduce that he's a terrible person. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that makes Dear Zachary as powerful as it is, is it just presents you with facts and just goes, you know, this is how this was. This is how this was with this one. It's like, look how bad he is. Look how he did. Because the interviews are great. It's the reenactments and everything, especially the alien one is just very weird. And it goes on a little bit too long where it's like over explaining. It's like, okay, I get it. Yep. I I understand what's going on here. Okay. Is this still Mm -hmm. going on? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It it does. It does go a little bit, but um, overall, I knew what it was when we first came in here. I, I didn't know if you would surprise me or not, but I just knew it was going to be a, uh, it, it was going to be a blowout. I mean, dear Zachary is special. It's yeah, special. It, it, I don't think anything's going to hit the same way that dear Zachary hits. And yeah, if there is I, another movie yeah. that hits that way, I never want to see it. Keep me away from it. <laughs> don't mention it. Don't recommend it to me. I'm good where I am. <laughs> That's all right. I'll try to find it. <laughs> no, but listen, when I say, what movie can I pair with Dear Zachary, I had to go, what is a documentary that's as powerful as that and as hard-hitting? And I said, I don't think I can find one, but I can find one that's a little jaw-dropping and shocking. And mm-hmm. so I said, Abducted in Plain Sight. It's a good movie. I know Brad will find some in enjoyment in it, I mean, or some entertainment in it. So I said, let me, let me pair that one. Right. Yeah, and one thing to take note that both of these movies have is the person that ruined the lives of others took their own life instead of trying to pay for their crimes. That's because right. it's it kind of like nobody got their just desserts in this. Everybody was wronged by these people and then they just took themselves out before they could be tried for their crimes or meet any punishment, mm. which is such a cowardly way out. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yep, absolutely. 
All right, moving on to after show. I know there were some things on the last episode that you wanted to mention about uh the strikes and uh stuff. And uh so what's up, man? What's been going on with you? Uh well, if we're gonna talk about the strikes right off the bat, the yeah. absurdity of what's going on right now, because I don't think I'm trying to remember last time we talked about them. It was before they had Universal had cut down all the trees on the street where the oh, protests yeah, were going yeah. on, right? We we didn't mention that, yeah. Yeah, which is absolutely insane how you can like look the pictures of these trees like before and after and mm-hmm. it's so blatant that they were cut down because during the hottest weeks, you know, ever recorded, they cut all the shade that the protesters had. And now we have the union of the work, the animation workers at Warner Brothers coming together, Mm -hmm. which I'm curious to see how that works out, because especially right now, animation is being it's in a weird area where we're getting some of the best animation and shows out of that medium but the people that are working on them are in the worst working conditions possible at the same yeah. time. And even to the point that people don't respect those shows and a lot of the studios will cancel them. And like in HBO's case, they took a bunch of shows and just wrote them off like final space infinity train that mm-hmm. people loved and they just went, yeah, it's, you know, we're writing it. At, we're losing it as a tax write off because we can and being able to see people that work on those kind of shows like come together and starting a new union and everything. It's like, OK, that's that's getting me excited that these people are going to finally have better working conditions mm. for the art that they're making, which is amazing. I I am optimistic that things are going to get better, but um, I, I just I don't want it to. But I think things could get a little worse before they get better. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, gonna I, be an I, uphill battle for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, hats off, man. I mean, you gotta give respect to the writers, you gotta give respect to the actors, you gotta give respect to the uh um animators. I mean, there is no art without these people. Mm-hmm. You know, the studios front the money, yes, the studios sign off on the vision, yes, but there is no art without the creators, period. Right. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, th- this needs to happen. This strike needs to happen. Now, this may be a dumb question, but I'm just asking because I've never been in a strike myself. Now, with picket lines and stuff, are- aren't they like taking turns or they have to be out there eight to f- like that's their nine to five being out there in the picket lines with the signs? Because I'm like, so I understand you're on strike. Go ahead. It's the same as like your normal job where people have different shifts and everything like that. You okay. have your okay. shift on the picket line. So that way okay. you can still take a break to like go eat. You don't have to be there like, you know, not, typically it's the same as like your nine to five you know, every day that you would normally work and everything like that, because the picket's only going on during the weekdays, I believe. I don't think it's going on during the weekends or if it is going on during the weekends, the people that I see and I'm following that are picketing aren't there on the weekends. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it is like the whole like shift thing where it's the same as anything else. Same for any all other unions like the automotive industry 
and the UPS one that actually just kind of got uh, figured out, luckily, because that would have oh, yeah. disrupted that up quick. so much. Oh, yeah, that was they one where that up quick. <laughs> they basically went, these are our demands. They went, yeah, OK, let's let, we can meet these. <laughs> we need you people. All right. right. We need y'all. <laughs> they wrapped that up quick, man. Um, dude, you're seeing a lot of movies get delayed. I, I don't know if Dune 2 got officially delayed, but I know it was in talks. Um, Gran Turismo got delayed. Spy, uh, the next Spider-Verse movie got delayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said to myself, man, the movies is going to suck for a while. Yeah. There's going to be barely nothing coming out. Well, even some movies that are like finished are getting delayed because the actors can't go on marketing tours for them. And a lot of the studios are going, well, we're not going to release the movie without marketing. We put, you know, hundred million dollars in this movie. We have to have the actors go on talk shows and go around to conventions and market this movie now. Now. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I know even Viola Davis was um, working on a film that she was producing through her company and even she canceled production or, um, or you know, um, th- there was a uh, a SAG waiver that came in that canceled production. And she was like, I just I just don't think it's right to work on this movie with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the production on that film stopped as well. But um, I wanted to ask you what you thought about the Tom Cruise thing. Now, I'm I kind of play devil's advocate when I think about this. But from what I understand. A lot of actors uh, at SAG or, you know, even the high ups at SAG reached out to Tom Cruise like, hey, join us on the picket lines. And Tom Cruise more or less said, all right, I'm not going to join the picket lines, but I will help you in in in, in my way, kind of. Let me yeah. help you in my way. And so I know a lot of people said, oh, why? But I kind of looked at it as, you know what? Studios do listen to Tom Cruise. He is Tom Cruise. He's he's top gun. You know yeah. what I mean? He's he's Mission Impossible. Studios do listen to him. He's a cash cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can believe that he's in the room making uh, making negotiations for SAG and stuff like that. I, I can see Tom Cruise doing that because he if, if you can say anything else about Tom Cruise, I don't care about the Scientology, his personal life. That man loves cinema. Right. He believes in cinema. He loves the movies. So he's going to try to save the movies, being an actor himself. What do you think about that? So on one hand, I would absolutely love to see some of the bigger stars like Tom Cruise or Robert Downey Jr., Mm. Christian Bale, like on the picket line with the rest of these people. But at the same time, I think that poses more risk to the safety of everybody else on the picket line. It's a distraction. It's It's a distraction because then people are like, oh, my God, it's. Tom Cruise, let me go get a cell. And all of a sudden, the picket line is getting stopped because everybody's like interrupting it to go see Tom Cruise on the picket line. Like all the reporters, they wouldn't be focused on the picket line. They would be focused on Tom Cruise at the picket line. And it'd just be so much of a is he because then the narrative would change against him Mm -hmm. and be like, well, is Tom Cruise really about it or is he doing this as a publicity stunt? So him being behind the scenes works a lot better because it people take him seriously. Like you said, studios will listen to Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise is guaranteed money for them. So when Tom Cruise goes, look, this is what has to happen. If you want to stay on my good side, they're going to be like, we want to keep making money. So we're going to listen to Tom Cruise. 
Yeah, I believe that. Listen, the mummy was a one-off, okay? But, you know, nine times out of ten, that man is making money at the box office. Oh, yeah. It's Tom Cruise. Everybody so has we, a dud. A- absolutely. And um, everyone. So we, when you hear that, and I think about that, and I go, you know what? I, I see that, and I, I agree with that. It would be distracting if you see certain actors on the picket line. Sure. Like, I, Brian Cranston was on the picket line. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I can see Brian Cranston on the picket line. Everyone knows Walter White, but that's not Top Gun. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's not going to be too distracting. Well, at the you same time, I mean? Brian Cranston is one of those people that it, he goes to supermarkets still. Like, he's yeah. up there with, you know, Tim Allen, where it's like, you might, like, have a head turn and go, hold on. Is that really him? But, like, if Tom Cruise, you saw him, like, picking out bananas in the grocery store, he'd be surrounded by 50 people constantly. Yeah. You know, it, it's I a different it. level of celebrity there. I, I, I definitely see it. Um, there was one thing I heard that kind of made me go, really, dude, really? Like, where uh, there was kind of, like, like murmurs of, like, when Tom Cruise was in a meeting and he was talking to studio heads, he was like, uh, listen, I do believe... We we come on. We we should be allowed to kind of promote some movies. I think some actors should be allowed to promote their movies. That kind of made me eye roll. Like, come on, man, this is a strike. And I love how Bob Odenkirk responded to that. Not directly, but everyone knew he was talking about Tom Cruise. He was mm-hmm. like, "Dude, if you're on a strike, you're on a strike. There's no well. Well, can I pause the strike to promote this? No, yeah. dude. This is a strike. Like like this is like 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 game game on. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, you know, I understand what Tom Cruise is saying, but right. yeah, I 100% agree with Bob Odenkirk's stance because you even have, you know, the recently we finally got the release of the Venture Brothers movie, you know, and I was about to bring it up. I know you were happy. Yeah, of course I am. But prior to it coming out, it was supposed to have this huge thing at San Diego Comic-Con and everything with Doc Hammer, you know, doing a special kind of screening there and all this other stuff to promote the movie. And it's literally the end of his life's work here. Like the movie that is capitalizing the series that I've personally been watching since I was in middle school to show how Mm -hmm. long this has been going on. And, Mm -hmm he was upset that he couldn't do it, but he he's a part of the union. He was like, I, he has to stand with everything else. And so he couldn't promote the end of his life's work. Like the most proud thing that he can has achieved. He couldn't talk about it or be excited about it because all this is happening. it's like, I understand that where it's like, he wants to so bad to be able to talk about this but he can't because of the strike going on. And if he didn't, you know, stand with a strike, that's that looks bad on him. So I kind of get where Tom Cruise is saying with, you know, yeah, people want to promote their stuff. But at the same time, the sentiment is wrong. It's the studio should understand, like, how much love these people put into the work that they have that they're just making box office numbers off of and how much it's actually hurting these people outside of just for work with their current works as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if, if you're striking, you're striking and that's, um, that's the bottom line. 
Yeah. So a lot of stuff is being pushed back. I know Gran Turismo got pushed back. Um, a lot of stuff's being pushed back. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll we'll see where this goes here. And uh, I don't have any other. I don't, I don't have anything else. Do you? Uh, so obviously, Venture Brothers movie came out. Uh, I did yes. see it, and uh, yeah, it, it it was good. I can't wait for them to realize they made a mistake in canceling it and give us another season. So <laughs> it didn't cap everything off. It wasn't like a satisfying finale. Uh it the weird thing with it is it does feel a little bit rushed where you can mm. feel that they had so much that they needed to pack into this movie that obviously some of it didn't make it in other things were kind of wrapped up very quickly and you know it, it felt like an extended episode of the series it felt more like it was one of the long form tv uh specials that they've done like all that in gargantua 2 where mm-hmm. it, it didn't feel like the capping off of the Venture Brothers. And Mm -hmm. I hope it was kind of intentional that they could leave it where if they do get a chance to come back to it, they can. But at the same time where it stands, it's good. It's good. Just like the rest of the series. It didn't feel like the end movie of the series. I feel like that might be better though. Right. You, you, you leave it like that. Like, all right, this isn't goodbye. This is just, bye for now and we'll 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 see what happens yeah i mean i have i I don't know if the sales numbers behind it will come out but i know that it's sold out everywhere you can buy like even amazon had a back order page for it and closed off back orders because the back orders were starting to get shipment dates all the way in september which means that uh they're they underproduced this by a whole lot which when a movie is sold out like day one like this, typically they have like an overhead of about 20 percent more than they expect a movie to sell when it comes to like shipping out copies of the movie to all the different businesses and stuff that sell it. So the fact that even a 20 percent overhead got sold out and back orders sold out at all these businesses to the point mm-hmm. that nobody even has like a listing page up for it anymore I think that's telling that there was a big demand for this movie that they were not prepared for. Yeah, I agree. Um, hey, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm really pulling for it. Uh, all right. That's about it, folks. Uh, this has been another great tearjerker of a DFV episode. Take care. Uh, watch Dear Zachary only once. Uh, hug your loved ones. And uh, take it easy. <laughs>